been a long time, but we are yes, back. Sir. It's another episode of the Icy Takes podcast. Big Dave on this side. Hefe, Jeff on the other side. Jeff, it's been so long because of the the, the holiday. Thanksgiving was, a, was amongst us this past week. How was your last two weeks and how was your holiday? Oh, my holiday was great. I am full from turkey stuffing, all the good stuff. Um, been battling a cold the last uh, week. The same cold that came back, but it came back with a vengeance. Um, so, you know, battled that through the holiday. But the holidays is good. But we move on and we start getting ready for a new holiday. Uh, Christmas is right around the corner, which means the uh, the electric candles in the Crest household are now hanging in the windows, which means there's more outlets in the house. And I have a new outlet that's closer to my iPad right now that I don't have to stretch it across the room. So I'm appreciating the little things in life today. Well, there you go. If you can find the little things in life to keep you happy and, you know, keep the drive going to, you know, maybe even perform better in the show, I'm still looking for that. Um, you know, maybe we'll actually get the ship turned around. <laughs> yeah, maybe we can, you know start making money with this thing probably gonna be a little bit down the road but you know one step at a time you know it's cyber monday today right it is and i took advantage of it uh, i don't want to release it because i don't know if my mom may or may not support the show i'm not i'm not confident on that confirmation um but i bought her and my aunt's gift on a cyber monday deal today made a ton of money saved a little bit and um you know we'll uh, we'll see what their reactions are to said gifts on uh, Christmas Day. I know like one of my plans was going to be, because I haven't had a chance to even look at any deals, but my plan was going to be, if you ever got on a tangent, I was just going to look around and see what I could buy on Amazon. Are you, are you excited <laughs> for that? Yes, yes. I can't wait to hear, see or hear or whatever you decide to do to, uh, to add to the show from Cyber Monday. It's going to be exciting. I definitely need to buy something during the show. I think that's going to be a goal of mine. Yeah, I, I like for it. For, maybe even for you. Oh. I'll, I'll just say what I got, but I'm not going to say for whom. Oh, okay. So, okay. A uh, little little mystery there. Oh, so. I like it. All right, so it's it's been a long time since we talked. Like we mentioned, you know, we were... You know, doing holiday stuff with family and everything. So we hope everyone else had a great holiday. And I think where we're going to start is the the NHL, Jeff, because, you know, there are two people who don't have jobs in the NHL anymore since we last talked. Yeah, the two people we had jobs, one we really expected to not have a job uh, when we last met. Uh, Mike Babcock was fired by the Toronto Maple Leafs on... Uh, let me pull up the date here. I believe t- uh, last Tuesday. Let me make sure I get my dates right here before we move further. Not prepared. Way to go, Jeff. Um, it's loading. Awesome. Uh, but yeah, Mike Babcock was fired after the Leafs lost in Vegas last uh, last Tuesday. Um, a lot of people. When Flurry made save of the year. Yeah, Flurry makes the save of the year, but. Um, I think a lot of people were expecting him to get fired. Maybe not on that road trip, but um, for him to get fired at some point, he wasn't going to keep his job. Um, so, yeah, that was two Tuesdays ago. So the 19th of November was the last game he coached for the Toronto Maple Leafs after their 4-2 loss to the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, 
they just didn't seem to have any buzz going around that team at all. Um, I, I, I watched them play um, when they were here in Pittsburgh in a, in a 6-1 loss, and there, there just wasn't any emotion. It just didn't seem like anything was going right for the Leafs, and, and a change was almost evident, what, whether it was a, uh, a trade or a coaching change or something was going to happen. You, you kind of just feel that aura in the, in the arena that night. And um, and sure enough, after their four two loss to Vegas, they they did pull the trigger. Uh, Brendan Shanahan went actually got on a plane, flew to Arizona, which their next game was on that trip, and um, and told Mike Babcock to a man that he was uh, that he was fired and his services were lo- no longer needed. Um, a lot of people thought, okay, maybe that's it. That's the uh, that's life without Mike Babcock with the Leafs. They go on. They get a resurgence. They beat Arizona three to one, and they beat Colorado five to three. Um, Was so not a fan of that. Yeah, not a fan of that. Um, you know, obviously, big Colorado Avalanche guys here. Uh, it was a tough loss for the Avs that night. Um, injuries catching up to them as well as well with the Pittsburgh Penguins as well. So, um, so yeah, so things are go are coming up for Toronto, and everything's to be all well and good. Well, after Mike Babcock gets this firing, everybody knows Mike Babcock has a pretty big footprint with the um, with coaching in the in the National Hockey League and even in the in the uh, international level too, coaching uh, Team Canada. And things are starting to rumble on the social media outlet with former players that may have played for him um, in the past. Mike Commodore seems to be the big one that's been coming out and. And saying and kind of piling on, it seemed like at first um, with the Mike Babcock firing, they had some disagreements in the and their uh, their days together when Commodore, I believe, was in uh, in Detroit. If I if I remember correctly, I could be wrong on that. I'm, I I always struggled when um, when him and Babcock were together, but um, just some stuff on how um, not a very good person Mike Babcock is if you look back in his history um he he just does some some things that are just really unnecessary he he uh healthy scratched Mike Madonna um late Madonna's career I think he was looking for 1500 games to play in his career and he's like three shy of it because Babcock healthy scratched him um I heard a story on today's spin chicklets episode where Chris Chelios was talking about when um when he was in Detroit and they had the Winter Classic in Chicago, that um Mike Babcock, who has never dressed seven defensemen in in his whole coaching career, um got into a battle with uh, upper management of Detroit because he wanted to healthy scratch Chris Chris Chelios, uh, ended ended up dra- um dressing seven defensemen, uh, played Chelios the first shift and then didn't give him a shift for the rest of the game how about this let's just let's just jump into the the first thing because i think this is just a lot of information just coming out right now okay this was a deal that was constructed back in 2013 or 2014 when he joined the toronto maple leaves after being was it being fired in detroit or leaving on his own terms uh i believe he left on his own terms that i think his contract was up and he essentially um, told Detroit, at which I wouldn't be shocked if he had a, a, a backdoor deal ready with the Leafs that he said he right. wasn't coming back. Right, and I think that was the next project for Babcock because of how successful he was with Detroit 
um, you know, coaching them to all those winning seasons, including a couple Stanley Cups here and there. And you know, having one of the most, he was the head coach, I believe, in was it '96 when they dominated everyone that year? Uh, yes, I believe so. So this was a man who had all of these attributes to himself. Was basic was remarked as probably one of the best coaches in the NHL. And going to Toronto, who has had just such a dark cloud above themselves, this was supposed to be the the match made in heaven. Get over Boston, and you know kind of redeem yourself because of all the the woes that you've that you've had and not even against Boston in the playoffs but anyone else that they come across in the playoffs but Boston is the one that comes to mind just based off recent years and you get all these all this talent all these players lined up ready to go you got Austin Matthews you have Mitch Marner who you know I don't know if you had mentioned it there but there's a story about Mitch Marner and, and how he was kind of you know kind of beaten down by by Mike Babcock based off his coaching habits. Um, so you have all these great players coming into this organization and you're getting these winning records, but you're not at the top of the division. You're not even number two in the division. So you're not even getting a home ice advantage, excuse me, in the first round. And you're the farthest that you've made it is game seven, uh, mainly losing to the Boston Bruins. So I'd, I'm trying to find where did this not work? And was it because of his old coaching habits catching up to him and not being to adapt to what this new NHL is like? Because if you want to compare and contrast the last 10, 15 years to how it's played, it's speed and getting the puck to the net, getting some rebounds, making the goalie work and running and I want to say running, but blowing by your the defenders in front of you. Am I wrong? Wait, say, say that part again. Like that that last part, I I think the the nature of the game has changed to where teams are blowing by their defenders and getting pucks on net and looking to use speed to their advantage and not really containing the puck and containing it, the opposing offense. Am I wrong? Right. Yeah. It's not. It's no longer like a bruisers game anymore. It's more of a speed skill. Um. You know, like you said, get you know keep the puck moving. Keep keep a fast-paced game going, and then, you know, kind of win games on a counter rush more than, more than you know, being the heaviest team, more or less. I mean, obviously, the way that um, that St. Louis won the Cup last year is a little bit more of a heavier style than we've seen in years past. But um, probably since the Penguins won their first Cup in 2016, it's, it's become a, a faster league and a more skillful league. Right. Um, so going into that, at least, I think there's got to be something to where it didn't add up for Mike Babcock and the Maple Leafs, and it might have been him not adjusting to how the game is played based off the talent that he has on that roster. So, you know, it's it's weird that we're going to use him as the example, but he coached himself out of Toronto, and it's sad to see it because as previously mentioned the amount of talent that that team has on its roster should it should at least make the second round like i'm not going to say win the stanley cup but it should at least make an appearance in the second round so that is i and plus i didn't even think that babcock would be fired until the end of the year because of how invested that they were into him and just getting over the halfway point of the huge contract that he signed I figured they were just going to try to get 
through this year and see what he could do in the playoffs because I still think this team is playoff bound. This is just a rough patch. Like the Penguins having, what what was it, four points in November last year of all of November? Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I think he coached himself out of out of a job in Toronto. He didn't adapt to how that team was fit to play. They were definitely a, a quicker, faster team. And I think he outcoached himself in terms of how he managed his bench as well. I mean, Austin Matthews in the first few years of his career wasn't playing over, you know, 19 minutes a night. You know, he played a career high. Um, I believe it was either in Arizona or Colorado where he played a career high of 20 minutes in like 46 seconds or something like that. It was it, it was in yeah. the the early 20s where I, I think it was like 20, 21 minutes that it was a career high for a kid that's been in the league uh, since he was 18. That's absurd. Um, you know, he, he wasn't riding those young kids. He was playing guys uh, like Zach Hyman who are, who are grinders who are, yeah, those guys are great. They're, they're nice to lean on, but you got to win and die with your, with your stars. And I think that's what was killing him more than anything is that he wasn't willing to use the young talent that he had um Tyson Berry is another case in point that um he was struggling for the first month and a half of the season the uh the first game he plays without Mike Babcock behind the bench he scores a goal on the power play on the top power play unit so um I think not only um in terms of in terms of his strategy and and players on the ice but I think just how he delegated his bench and and figure and allocating ice time and stuff like that I think that's what really hurt him more than anything all right, so, you know, we have Mike Babcock. We think he outcoached himself out of Toronto. You can hit us up on the Facebook and Twitter per usual to see if you agree or disagree with us um, at Icy Takes with Jeff and Big Dave on the Facebook at Icy Takes. I see I takes altogether one word on the Twitter. Jeff, we have another firing in the NHL that happened after um, Mike Babcock. It is Bill Peters that yeah, formerly but- known for the Flames. Yeah, Bill Peters got a fi- uh, got fired as well. Uh, he got fired, I believe, on um, fr- uh, Friday, Black Black Friday, um, the day after Thanksgiving. Uh, Hell of he a got deal fi- for the Flames. Yeah, I guess so. Um, this is this one's a tough one to discuss because of everything that's around it. If you're curious or been living under a rock for the last couple days. Um, this one has a lot of uh, backstory behind it. There's uh, accusations of him um, using a racial slur towards a player about 10 years ago when he was coaching in the Chicago organization. Um, there's also allegations of him being physically abusive towards players uh, during games when he was in the Carolina organization. So um, a lot of these allegations that have um, come to surface um since Mike Babcock got fired, um, these allegations kind of came uh, came to surface. Um, so it was kind of a it was a matter of time. It's kind of helpful too that the Flames were struggling um, at the time of the firing too. So um, so yeah, another one bites the dust. Dave, what do you think of all this? This one makes a lot more sense, at least. Um in comparison to the Mike Papcock firing, if you want to compare and contrast, but these are two totally different stories for how it all ensued for both of them. Can but, I just, can I just stop you right there? I don't mean to step on your toes on what you're about to say or anything, but I think these are close. 
uh, these are only closer than what some people may think. And right, I think I just it, the, the I, premise. Right. But what I'm saying when I, when I say that they're closer than what people think is, is that this is starting to turn a lot of heads on how coaching in general, not just hockey, but um, you're seeing, a, seeing the hockey world get shook a little bit more than, than it's used to. And it's, and I think that's what's cost, what costed both these guys their jobs is that coaching isn't just dealing with guys for an hour, an hour and a half um, on the ice or in the, in the dressing room. It's off the ice. It's, it's the relationship you have away from the rink with your players. And I think for Bill Peters, it, it, shook his, it, it costed his job 100% because of what he did. Um, and as, as for Mike Babcock, if you have not been on Twitter or have heard what former players have said about him, just Google Mike Babcock and any person that's played under him because the stuff that has come out about him may not be as far as the physical abuse or the, a racial slur, but as far as being a human being and being respectful to the, to the players and sharing the respect that you, you want them to have for you and not say, giving the same to them, I think that's what costed his, his job more than anything. So I, see, I think that's where they, these two are absolutely linked together. Okay, all right, so I see what you're saying there. But for at least what I have seen um, based off the surfacing where the Flames had a little bit of success recently and with where the Maple Leafs have not. Um, but with this, with the story coming out with Bill Peters and all the information with Babcock coming out after the firing, that's kind of where I was differentiating the two. So I think with Bill Peters... It is similar to that Me Too movement, where you have you have one player speak up, and then you have kind of like the woodwork come out and speak amongst that as well, you know, because it always starts with that one person. Um, it it just is troublesome that it took that long if a player or someone else is bothered by a what was said or an action that had happened in the past to for that to come out to the public and for action to be done to that person whether it's necessary or not um in this case very necessary i believe um and i think with where i'm trying to get at with this is that it's nice to see that whether it was intentional or unintentional for i believe it's alu i think that's what we're going with with the last name yeah um whether it was intentional or unintentional of allude to have had all of this happen to lead to this. It's nice to see that, you know, someone is speaking up based off you know, previous actions that are not tolerated that kind of got slipped through, um, slipped through the, the cracks. So I think it's just right on for what, how Calgary at least handled it. Um, I didn't follow it too closely but for at least how how quickly the flames were uh, before it blew up too much to kind of shut that down um, I think this worked out in the end for the flames so uh, before we move on to this and if you want to keep following the story because this story is very very young it's going to keep growing and growing Um, my one question for you and for our audience that is listening um, how much more of a decision is this if the Flames aren't on a six-game losing streak? 
and seem to be going nowhere. Johnny Goudreau continues to struggle. They're not putting in goals like they did last year. Say they're in first place and they have a pretty comfortable lead in their division. Um, is this a harder decision? Because I think it absolutely is. It probably because, is. Because these allegations aren't connected with the Flames organization in any way, shape, or form. However, you still have to maintain a good PR and a um, and a good face of your organization. There's um, as as far as management, there's o- there's only one guy that sees that sees the media each and every day, and that's the head coach. So I think it's it's very interesting if these allegations come out and the Flames are off to a hot start on the year. Yeah, and that's that's very true. But you know, you can't play. It, this is our job to play hypotheticals, but I don't right. think it's necessary here because of the allegations and right. you know, right. what's, like what's I said, coming out as what's being said. Right. Like I said, it was a very hypothetical. And I mean, they, he's even had guys come out. I think it was Michael Backlund that said um, Bill Peters turned around his um, his season last year as he as these allegations are coming out. And I remember texting one buddy saying like, what a hill to die on if you're Michael Backlund. They, you have all these, all these players coming out, essentially your brothers. When you're, when, uh, when it's players like that, um, you know they may dislike each other on the ice, but at the end of the day, the players' association is the players' association, and you, you have all these allegations coming out, and you're dying on a hill with a guy that that has used racial slurs and who has. Um, has been physically abusive towards players and stuff. I mean, that's uh, that's where it's kind of confusing for some guys is because, you know, some guys might need that. They might need a kick in the rear end to get themselves going. But um, unfortunately, it might have been a little bit too far for Bill Peters, and that's why he doesn't have a job. All right, so let us know what you guys think. As as always, you can hit us up. You know, you can also send us voice messages on the anchor anchor.fm and we can elaborate on opinions that you guys send to us. So go ahead and hit that record button. Uh, Jeff, I think it's time to talk about the Penguins. Do you want to talk about their um, just how the last week went, or do you want to talk about how everyone on the team is injured? Kim, uh, I don't know. We talked about a lot of bad stuff. I mean, they had a pretty all right week, huh? As yeah, far I mean, as like they, on the ice, I mean, I, I I don't know. They played. I don't know how to judge this team right now. Like I I, well, I think what I just said right there. Of the injuries. Right. What I just said right there, I think, is a pr- prime example of like why I continue to just scratch my head with this team. Um, so the they played the Calgary Flames, who we, the we just talked about. They beat them three two. Come from behind victory again. Um, they play the Vancouver, they played the Vancouver Canucks on the 27th, the day before Thanksgiving, always probably the best home game of the regular season to go to. Um, they come back from six, three in the third period and they score five unanswered to win eight, six, probably one of the most exciting game. games of the year. Yeah, like, I thought they were done four year. times in that game and I fell yeah, asleep that, in the second period. <laughs> that is game of the year so far for the Penguins because of how all of that ensued. I was unable to watch that third period. Um, that was on the road, but my God, what a what a time to be a Penguins fan, huh? Five unanswered, though, is just absurd. Um, um, so let's move on. I mean, you have Friday. Um, 
Uh, what was it? They came away. They lost on Friday, didn't they? And Saturday. Yeah, they lost five two to Columbus on on Friday. Who some people are saying that might be the worst game of the year. And then uh, they they had a back to back. They go to St. Louis, lose to the defending Cup champs five two as well. Um, so my question after this week, um, right now, let me pull up the standings here real quick. I mean, they're they're fifth in the division. Fifth in the fifth in the division, they're clinging to the final wild card spot with a record of fourteen nine and four, um, three points ahead of the Rangers um, to lose their wild card spot. So, right now, my question for you, Dave: Have the injuries finally caught up with it with this team? That now you're at a point where the Lester's off for a lot of these AHL guys that. Um, you know, you get called up, you're pretty hyped up, you're trying to make an impression. You can only do that for so long. Have these injuries finally caught up where now you're the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins now, featuring Evgeny Malkin and Chris Letang and Jake Gensel? Figure it you out. Could, I mean, you could say that, but I also think that is kind of an excuse because of Is it, how, though? I mean, if you can only go... So far, until you say that injuries are the reason that we can't play up to our highest level. But I also trying to remember how injured they were, maybe in in one of those Stanley Cup runs in in the middle of the season, where it seemed like you never had that close to a full lineup of what you started at at the beginning of the year. Um, but I mean, this is getting next to I don't know state of emergency level for the Penguins, so. I don't know but, how to feel but, about but it. Because, but if you're oh. going to put out a state of emergency and say that you can't use it as an excuse, I mean, I can tell you right now when, when Rantanen, Landeskog, and hell, we'll throw Kel McC- if Kel McCarr would go down and they only have Nathan McKinnon, I guarantee you the Colorado uh, Avalanche aren't going to be in the spot that they're in right now. They struggled enough as it is losing just Philip Grubauer along with the two that I just named. So, I mean, yeah, I mean you're losing your core – you you don't have your your first line is depleted completely. You half of your top pair is gone. You got Jack Johnson playing twenty three minutes a night. You're just not going to be successful if if that's going to be the formula. Yeah, I, like I was trying to get at. I don't want the injuries to be an excuse for the Penguins because of just. I mean, look at what they've been for the last decade and a half. So I'm just trying to find reasons not to pin some of these losses because of injury, but it's hard not to in some of these games. Now, other, there's, I mean, if you want to go to the Blue Jackets game, you could say, like you said, it was probably considered the worst game of the year against, you know, one of the worst teams in the league. And then two days before that, you go, you find yourselves in a 2 nothing lead. Something that the Pens haven't been able to do is get a lead at the beginning of a game with a middle of a pack team in the Western Conference and find themselves down 4-2, to two, and then all of a sudden hit a spark in that last frame and just erupt with all sorts of these goals. I can't really say how it happened because, like I said, I was on the road. But I don't want injuries to be the excuse for this team because they've showed that they can overcome them in some of these games. But I think it can be very glaring when you look at teams like you're losing to the Blue Jackets and without even competition that it's just a mix of how healthy are the Pens going to be going to this game. 
I like it's it's hard to explain for this team. So I think to try to remember what your question was and try to answer it at least, um, I would have to say that this is worrisome for the Penguins. I I think we're past worrisome and we're just praying to go. I, I mean, if I'm Mike Sullivan, we're not practicing or having morning skates the rest of the year because Patrick Hornquist went down today in practice after Brian Rust went out um, when they were in Columbus during a morning skate. So, I mean, at this point, I just, the only time they should be touching the ice is during games because, I mean, this is just getting ridiculous. You know, a guy falls, you have uh, core muscle surgery on two guys. Brian Dumoulin who had a guy fall on his ankle and all of a sudden he has, he has severed tendons in his ankle. I mean, it just, it just doesn't seem like it, it stops. And I mean, how much longer can they survive with this depleted lineup? I don't know if we get together again next week that they'll be in, in a playoff spot. And I, but if you want to try to look at the positive side, I think it's better to have these injuries early on than to have all of these accrue towards the end of the year. So there's always a silver lining, I guess, with a question mark at the end. They also inked Stefan Nosen to a, a deal or Nesson or who even cares anymore. It's another player that's not even going to make it to the end of the year on the roster. So I don't know. Worrisome state of emergency, whatever it is, um, this team cannot find a way to just get back on the ice and not have to worry about people getting hurt. But that like, you could say the nature of the game. I'm sure I'm sure this isn't the the only team in any years that has had this many injuries happen to them in one season. No, but when the Penguins put out the roster that they do and for years upon years they've had the best player in the world for how long? It seems like every year a a superstar goes out whether it was Mario with cancer, Mario with the back, Yager with the groin, Sid with the concussion, Gino with the knee. Hell, the year that Sid had the concussion and Gino had the knee when they played Tampa Bay and nearly won that series. Um, As a lifelong Penguin fan, it just seems like this always happens. But the one little bit of light that I'll give every Penguin fan out there, this is part of the formula. At the end of the day, if you remember in the, the 50th anniversary DVD that they did um, a couple years back that they showed after Thanksgiving, this is part of the formula. Something seems like it's always so, so bad, but there is some ra- some rays of sunshine right around the corner. And hopefully they can get healthy and maybe in June that ray of sunshine comes with Sid holding the cup. But that's all I'm hanging on right now is that there's rays of sunshine coming around the corner yeah i mean it's good to have like if there's a positive it's that it's happening right now instead of march yeah so. and, and i mean they're still getting but both the wins last week came from the backup goaltender too so i guess that's kind of a positive as well exactly um anything else um couple couple notes here uh nathan mckinnon by the way uh Nice little icy takes bump for you. Uh, first star of the week. He had uh, three goals, nine assists, I believe, in a couple games this week. So, um, Nate, congratulations. You keep making us look really good by being Colorado, Colorado Avalanche fans. I mean, 
he's he's best player in best player in the West besides Connor McDavid? Question mark. I uh, I think this is going to be yet another year that Connor McDavid is going to get the MVP because he's ridiculous, and I don't think Nathan McKinnon's too too far behind him in Drysaitel. Yeah, so you'd say maybe he's the number two player in the Western Conference. Oh, I don't know, Drysaitel. If I think if McDavid and Drysaitel aren't having the years that they have, if they're just having like a typical, like maybe a 1.3 points per game. I think that I would be willing to say that, but the the years both of those guys are having that they're averaging two two points a game, almost over two points a game for the Oilers and have them in first place, um, I think they're one and two. I think he's three. Okay. All right. Shows you how big of an avalanche fan you really are because I got Nathan McKinnon, number two, right I behind, want to right say behind that, but I don't, Connor McDavid. I don't, I don't want to be a homer, but I'm going to be a homer here. One last, one last question for you: yeah. Is there any way Kale McCarr can win the Norris and the Calder in the same year? Um, I think there's a possibility, but I don't see it happening. Okay. I think Why? John Carlson's having way too good of a year for McCarr to catch up and beat him. Now, if Carlson does end up, you know, slipping and doesn't put up points like he has been, and Makar keeps up a ridiculous pace, that's the way I could see him winning. But I think the the front runner right now is John Carlson, and unless injury or he just plays very poorly for a long stretch of time, I think it's, it's a lose. If you think it's a loss. So I think he could possibly do a clean sweep of the Calder, the Norris and the Lady Bing. I think if Ooh. he can get if he can get the Calder and the Lady Bing, which he is twenty six games in, um, and he hasn't taken a penalty yet this year. Knock on wood. Knock on wood, because he'll probably take one tomorrow night because I said something. I think if he can get those two, I think he could convince those shysters up in Toronto, all those media guys, which I know every listener is tired of me blaming them on why Kale McCarr is not going to get the Norris and that John Carlson is, I think he could get all three. If he can win the first two, he might get all three. So that's my homer pick. So don't tell me I'm not an Avalanche fan. Uh, Okay. All right. You're just trying to save yourself there. Uh, Carlson right now at 37 points plus 16 on the year with eight goals and 29 assists and 28 games played. So he's averaging – just a hair over an assist per game, um, which, you know, coming from a defenseman, that's pretty darn good if you ask me. Um, I know if, like, for the first 15 games he was averaging, or first 10 games he was averaging close to two points a game, so that has kind of slipped a little bit, but I still think he would be in the league because if you look at what Kale McCarr, has been doing in his 26 games played. He's matching as many. He's averaging a point a game at eight goals and 18 assists. So not nearly as many assists, but you know matches him in the goal total as well. So he's the better scoring defenseman. But I, I like I said, it's got to be it's Carlson's to lose at this point. We'll see. We still have plenty of hockey to go. I think the one thing too to look at to look at Kel McCarr's um, stats, and if you want to pull up Carlson real quick. Um, 
the points, uh, power play points. Kale McCarr is just under, just under half. Eleven of his points come on the power play, so he's about fifty-fifty. I'm curious where John Carlson is on that stat. Um, I'm trying to find it here. Do, 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 do. You might be able to find it before me. Yeah, I'll, yeah I'll I, was, I was in the zone on you Amazon were. Prime. <laughs> I got I got a couple items in my cart right now. I'll tell oh, you. Oh man! The, by the end of the show, but um, yeah, for I'm not at least what I'm for what I'm seeing. I'm not finding it. I did see that Carlson has eight penalty minutes, so you know, Kale McCarr is blowing him out of the the water in that statistic. So, yep, there you go. Just, just give it to McCarr. <laughs> Uh, let me see here. So, oh, geez, that doesn't help at all. Yeah, John Carlson's 37 points, only 12 of them came on the power play. So that doesn't help my case at all for for uh, for Kale. But I think I think Kale's going to put put on a show here, though, and uh, hopefully the Caps can go into like an eight-game slump or something like that for the Penguins' sake and for Kale McCarr's sake. I mean, I'm for that. I just don't see it happening. All right, yeah. so what else we got? Uh, that's all I got. Is there is there anything you want to talk about hockey-wise? Um, how about Robert Bortuzzo? I think, oh, yeah, we didn't talk yeah, about that. I, I think that, that kind of just went under the radar. You want to set the scene? Yeah, so um, Victor Arvidsson was crashing the net for the uh, Nashville Predators, and... Robert Bortuzzo decides to cross-check him in the numbers where I believe his – was it his face or his neck that went into the, into the crossbar? Um, I would – from I what I remember – I want to say it's his face. Uh, it, what I remember, it was probably the face, but, I mean, it, it was damn close to the net. It was in the net, basically. Yeah. So – and then – so Bortuzzo's getting ready to kind of find where the puck is. He realizes that there is a – penalty on the play and in disgust he goes to the fallen Arvidsson and gives him a vicious cross check as he's on the ground um not a good look it was a pretty violent uh display there by Robert Portuzzo he got four games I believe for that suspension I thought it was a little little less than what it should have been uh what did you think well I'm I'm at least glad I agree with you there um I think he should have got more um Probably should have had at least a hearing, not even to dispute, um, well, to talk about the severity of that play. I'm not, I don't even care if Arvidsson doesn't get hurt there. The way that Bortuzzo just acted upon himself over top of Victor Arvidsson was totally unacceptable and deserved at minimum five games. Um, maybe not even 10 game, but let's throw out the hypothetical out there, Jeff, you know, cause that's what we do. If this same play happens to Tom Wilson with Bortuzzo's history, is, do you think it's the same thing? Or do you think it's because of Tom Wilson having the history that he has? That's why he would get like half a season for this. I think Tom, uh, Tom Wilson, any suspension that he has, it's, Anything like what Robert Portuzzo does, he gets a lot more. Right. Um, so, however, I don't... however, I would say 
that I think the NHL mismanaged this 100%. And I think the, the worst of... The worst of the whole sequence was him turning around after realizing that there was a penalty on the play and turning around and cross-checking him as violently as he did. I don't think the initial play is as bad. It's bad, but it's not horrific. It's the follow-up cross-check that that makes that whole thing horrific. Right, and it was was the second hit. It wasn't really really the first one, which is still eyebrow-raising, but... It's the trailblazing happens, <laughs> but yeah, it, it's just, it, it's so Bush league for how it happened. And, you know, I'm kind of a Robert Bortuzzo fan as well, but at the same time that, that just, that can't happen. That's got to be out of the game. And I th- agree with you. It's weird to say, actually, no, I've been agreeing with you a lot. I'm just going to disregard that. Um, I think the NHL could have, it could have, given him a bigger suspension, but it was missed. Can I just say one thing that you said that you're a Robert Bortuzzo fan? I mean, I'm not going to proclaim it to the world, but I, I never well, have. Well, you had did a, just a, with a, this worldwide podcast that we did. The worldwide podcast. And, because and we had a list of one time. My second point is, when in the frig have you ever bought a ticket and said, boy, I can't wait to see 41 out there? Well, it's not like I'm going to say, boy, do I hate that guy out there. No, so, but don't <laughs> tell me you're a Robert Bortuzzo fan who was a seventh defenseman that the only time he dressed was when he had to play fourth line wing. So, now, if you, would, if you would say that, hey, I bought a ticket to go see Nathan McKinnon, I'd let you get away with it. But don't tell me you're a Robert Bortuzzo fan. Maybe I misworded myself. Maybe I just Absolutely never had a problem with did. the guy. Oh, my God. That is, is there a that's difference brutal. between being a fan of someone and not having a problem with the other? Yeah, I think so. I think I might add this to my card as well. <laughs> All right, we ready to move on? Do you got anything yeah. else? Do you, do you want to say uh, you're you're a big uh, Chris Nyland fan or something? I mean, I, I loved him. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on. Are we going to baseball or are we sticking yes, with hockey or something? we are. Yes, we are. So I think that's the perfect move. So I think the... Probably the best thing to lead off with is that the Pirates have a new manager, (laughs) and his name is Derek. (laughs) Jeff, fun fact, this is the first manager in MLB history with the first name Derek. And I think just because of that, that the Pirates are World Series bound. I mean, this is is barrier-breaking, really. Um but in all seriousness, I, it's nice that the Pirates actually finally have a manager. They were the last team to have a manager on their team. And now they got the big three in there. This is the new one. This is going to be Travis Williams. It's going to be Ben Charrington. Not Trevor. And, it's not Trevor Williams. Uh, not Trevor. <laughs> we should just refer to him as not Trevor Williams. Um, ben Charrington and Derek Shelton. Um, I think, though, because of... Still the, I guess, not knowing and where this team is heading to in the future. This guy could just be a fill-in for two years until he gets the can and they find their new manager. Um, so I think this is just a time saver for the for the Pirates until they finally start 
getting their plan together and getting it going. So what do you think about this hire? Uh, I've said it time and time again. I'm going to say it one more time. I'm on a wait and see with the Pirates. I want them to do well, um, but they need to show me a whole lot. Um, I'll give them five years. I'm going to give them five years to rebuild and get themselves figured out, and we'll go from there. But for now, they got five years. Let's see what they do. Do you think that Derek Shelton makes it five years? Mm, no, no. And I think because you're already hearing guys say that they're willing to move on from the Pirates right now. I believe Sterling Marte came out over the weekend and said he's ready to move on. Yeah, I mean, yeah. so that could be a, a, another story that we want to get into. And I wanted this move to be dealt with in the trade deadline in July. And that didn't happen. Now, Starling Marte is coming through and saying that he wants to be out of Pittsburgh. He wants to be with a contender. And as a Pirates fan, or at least as a logical Pirates fan, I don't know. I'm okay with this because of he's not the answer going forward in a long-term plan. He's He's over 30 so if you're looking at that long-term plan you don't want somebody platooning center field at 35 years old no matter how gifted of an athlete starting Marte may be but Jeff I I I like that Marte is expressing this because you're you should be able to move him but at the same time I think you get less out of Marte with any teams just based off his willingness to get out of Pittsburgh. So what do you think? Um, I think it would be in the Pirates' best interest uh, to, to move on from him. I think they need to uh, make this team about Brian Reynolds and Josh Bell and um, and build from within. I think that's the, the best way to do it. You saw the Atlanta Braves do it. You've seen teams all over Major League Baseball do it, that you you rebuild yourself and build within your, your uh, minor league system. Um, unfortunately, the Pirates put themselves in a tough spot with the constant losing that they do. That is the fan base going to wait. I think that's the biggest thing is because they had a very good baseball team here for – three, we'll call it maybe four years, the fourth year they may have underachieved. And I, I think it's cost them. And I think that they're not going to be given the time to have five or six years to rebuild themselves. I think people are going to want a quick rebuild. And I don't think it's in the best interest of that team, nor do I think the owner wants to do a quick rebuild. I think he wants to draw it out and, uh, and capitalize when – when uh when he feels fit so i don't i can't really forecast yet on how this pirate season will go because i mean you usually wait until most of the free agents are signed and you kind of see what you are dealing with heading into the regular season but if it's the same old bucks which more than likely will happen I can see even less numbers, less attendance numbers than what we saw last year. Um, 
as I pull it up, I want to say that they may have just cracked a million at the end of the year or just came up really short because most of the time the two teams that don't make it to the the million club are the two teams in Florida. So um, as I pulled the MLB attendance, I mean, do you see any chance that it gets better next year for the Pirates based off fans showing up to the games or they actually start winning more? Uh, I mean, I mean, there's still going to be people that show up to the ballpark. Um, it's I'm, never just going to dis- disappear right away. Right. It's never going to die. But I think, like, your Tuesday night games, there's not going to be a ton of people there. I think I think they're going to have to w- have one hell of a promo schedule for them to have good numbers this year as far as attendance. Let's just say that. It's uh, They did. They were 27th. It was Baltimore that I was missing. Um, but they were almost at 1.5 million. It was 1.49 with average of 18,412. So, I mean, just, I know Jesus, the Penguins before. outdraw them. Yeah. And yeah, um, this is a place that probably fits with standing room as well. A little over 40,000. Yeah. I was uh, going to say it's, I knew it was around 40 K or something like that. that they so said. you're not even drawing half the stadium each night um i mean you could be the marlins at ten thousand sixteen per game and they were the only team to not crack a million so there's some positives and you got Derek jeter running that squad so i think Derek jeter's got some things up his sleeve there though who has a winning season first the pittsburgh pirates or the miami marlins the miami marlins oh god don't say that to me i'm hurt yeah i mean I, I just don't see it, man. I I mean, like I said, I want them to be successful, but I'm on such a wait and see with that with that team because I never thought in a million years I would see a team trade away the cornerstone of their franchise at age 30 until they did it with Andrew McCutcheon. I would say that just based off the direction that team was going and how they, you know, obviously didn't capitalize on the winning seasons that it was the right move for the team because of how they just shot themselves in the foot. So yeah, I, I agree with you with, with the, you know, it's very, it's very just eye popping that they could just trade him like that with one more year to go left on his contract. But he was also a very average to below average player in those last two years after the, the winning seasons before he was shipped off to San Francisco. So you could look at it saying, you no, know, that was the right business move to make, but at the same time, that that hurt a lot of people in the city who just adored that man. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it, if you look at the team on the other side of the North Shore, the Steelers, I always use this comparison. Could you imagine the Steelers trading Ben Roethlisberger at 30 years old? Or could you imagine the Pittsburgh Penguins trading Sidney Crosby at at 26 years old? Because that's essentially what they did. I think those are different because those players have brought they, home championships. They, even, no, they brought up championships. What? Because and, those he, players... and McCutcheon didn't get you guys to the playoffs for the first time in 20 years? He did. He and, did. But then uh, look at look at the regression that that guy had 
in those last two years before being shipped off. You don't see that regression with Ben or Sidney Crosby in any of those years, do you? No. All right. And look at the titles that both of those players have brought to that city. How many did you see McCutcheon bring? I mean, he gave you a pretty damn good shot in 2013. He was also he, part of a 95-win team in uh, in 15. Or 98-win team. I'm sorry, 98. All right. How many RBIs did Andrew McCutcheon have in all of his playoff games? Zero. And I'm a big proponent of that. Okay. So I don't see how just because he was the face of the franchise that you could compare him to Sidney Crosby or Ben being traded out of this city. He, so then let me all so he then, did was all he did was bring us to the playoffs, which was fun. It wasn't cementing. It was fun. It wasn't cementing. Some say that that 2013 wildcard game was the best event this city ever saw. I wish I was there to witness I that. was there. I was I there. It was the best event I've ever been to. And you know who brought it there? The center fielder wearing number 22. Because without him, they didn't have that team around them. And then what happened in the next round? They lost in five games to a very good Cardinals team. They did, and I was very upset about that. I didn't talk for probably two hours after that game just because it, of how uh, upsetting it was. It was. But, it broke your heart, and I, I, I get that. But don't say that, that it's completely different than trading Sidney Crosby or Ben Roethlisberger because it's the exact same thing. It is the exact same thing. I don't see it with how those players brought something back. You know, Andrew McCutcheon. He did brought. He, all right, he brought that that one moment where you moved on to the next round, and it seemed like all right, we're out of this hole. It's finally over. But the organization just sucked that out. The organ the the Pirates front office did not capitalize on that. And for Andrew McCutcheon, I'm sorry, but he did not capitalize on his playoff appearances, and he didn't capitalize on the years after 2015 when he was batting below 240, it seemed, every month, and he was statistically the worst center fielder in baseball. He had a high point. He may have been a flash in the pan and just just overcame all the obstacles in Pittsburgh, which seemed impossible. But he did not bring home any titles. Brought home an MVP. What did that do for the Pittsburgh Pirates to win a to win a championship? They it got them they to got, the playoffs. Got them to the dance. Got them to the dance. And do, is that not what you want your franchise player to do? Get you to the dance. He got us to the dance, and I I love him, but I don't. Of the three, he was the bottom of the three, right? Oh yeah, I'm not I'm not debating that. Let's not let's not kid ourselves here. That's why I don't see it just correlating at all, just because of not bringing home the championship. If if one of those three years the Pirates did it, then I don't care what he was after 2015. Then I would have been upset. Then I would have agreed with you in the comparisons of Crosby and Ben, but not, but not without that championship. All right, let us know. Icy takes... At Icy Takes, Icy Takes on Facebook. Uh, what do you think? What do you think of the Pirates' new manager? Where are they going to be at? Dave, what, about, what else we got? Because you're fired up right now, and I love it. I've Thank struck you. a chord. I've struck a chord with you, and I'm playing you like a fiddle right now, and I love it. Oh, you don't know how to play a fiddle. 
<laughs> I said like a fiddle. MLB trade rumors um, uh, released their their top fifty free agents going into the you know, free agency period and into the winter meetings. Um, so I'm going to start at the bottom of the list, Jeff. Uh, we're not going to go through every single one of these. But I hope I th- not because it's 8.30 and I got work in the morning. But I think we're going to have a little game with this where I'm going to say this player and you are going to tell me either what team they're projected to go to based off this article or um, the the contract length and amount. Your choice, one or the other. Uh, I'll say what team I think they're going to go to. Okay, so let's just go to number 50. You got Drew Smiley. Oh, okay. Um, I don't know. I could see him going to like a smaller market team, maybe showcase himself. Um, I don't know. I could see him doing Pittsburgh or Baltimore, like kind of like a bottom of the barrel kind of team showcase there and be uh, possibly a fifth starter or a bullpen arm for a team come the deadline. So if you could pinpoint one team, which one would it be? Uh, I'm going to agree with MLB trade rumors and say the Pirates. Oh, wait, no, you're looking at the article too? Yeah. Oh, I, I, I was going to try and play the game, which is you have to guess it. Oh, no, I, I no, no. Let's just discuss these because. Oh, geez. All right, so Drew Smiley in Pittsburgh. He's going to be the MVP, the guy who brings it back. Let's get it going here. Um, but, no, they're uh, one year, three million, just to kind of change up the rotation. Um, you had a lot of injuries belinger this team, and it's going to go into next year with Jamison Tyon not going to be available all of next season. So you have uh, Trevor Williams, Chris Archer, um, you get Drew Smiley in the mix there. I think it'll just be something to just help the team overcome with what they're dealing with right now, and that's all it is. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. You ruined this game for me because you're I did. looking at this too. Well, what did you want me to do? Just to guess, that's all. Uh, I'll stop it. All right, so if we keep moving up here a little bit. Um, no, just because it's my team too. How about Cole... Calhoun projected to go to Pittsburgh as well on a one-year six mil deal. That one's interesting. I don't. I don't get the angle on that. Um, I think just based off Gregory Polanco, who is just a shadow of himself, always being injured, and the possibility, which I hope doesn't happen, of trading Josh Bell, you have some options there with having Cole Calhoun play in the outfield, filling in at first base, if you ever want to give Josh Bell a day off, which should only be maybe five games in a year. Um, So that's the only way I could see this working out. Um, But other than that, I don't see this um, being that big of a deal, aside from he can hit the long ball. And that is something that, as a whole team, that the Pirates never really do well. Does anything have that to do with that last year was one of the biggest years Major League Baseball saw in home runs? You're talking about how Cole Calhoun can add the power? or No, that, po- that he had his career best season in a year that, that numbers as a whole in Major League Baseball were up. It's probably linked, but at the same time, you look at the Yankees, the only team to have 14 different players hitting double-digit home runs, and both... The Yankees and Twins 
hit over 300 as a team. I mean, it was all over the place. So, yeah, but I mean, Yankee Stadium's a band box, right? Short yeah, portion, right Minnesota? field. The Minnesota, I'll give you a hundred percent. That that's probably linked too to the to the juice juiced up numbers. But as far as Yankee Stadium, that place is a band box. You hit a fly ball, it's out. I mean, the last time uh, Calhoun's previous high in home runs was back in 2015 when he hit 26. So it's not an anomaly that he hit 33. But if you want to compare the last three years prior, which was 18. 19 and 19 and almost the same amount of games played each year besides 2018, which was 15 games less. Um, you could say that, no, maybe the ball was juiced a little bit. Um, Oh, I got a name. I got a name here for you. Uh, Julio Tehran, uh, MLB trade rumors has him projected to go to Seattle, uh, two years, 18 million. What, what do you think of this one? A long time brave. Uh, that's going to be moved on. Him going to Seattle is, and how long of the contract are they expecting? Uh, two years, $18 million. It's kind of weird because I think that with where the Mariners at, they would want a pitcher there long-term and maybe there for when they project to make the playoffs. I don't see the Mariners being in that winning position in two years. So, excuse me, I just see him as kind of a filler for the Mariners. You know, King Felix isn't what he was or used to be, and getting him in there just as a change of scenery, if you can just steal him from the Braves and maybe get a little spark in the pitching rotation, I'm not really a huge fan of that if he were to go to Seattle. I don't think I think he would be a good veteran presence for for any young pitchers that they would have there, um, and it, I think it's also a chance for him to revitalize his career as well. Um, he's he's kind of ran into a spot in his career where he hasn't become as consistent as he once was, so I think um, I think it would be good for him to get into kind of like a smaller market that's not. Uh, that's not as baseball driven as what the South is with Atlanta and where Atlanta is projecting to go. So the, the, uh, the eyeballs on Atlanta are going to be completely different than what are the eyeballs in Seattle. So I, I kind of like that move of him going kind of to the West coast and, um, and kind of reshaping his career being only 29 years old. How about your boy Cole Hamels? Being projected to go to the Braves on a two-year, thirty-mil deal. I don't know if I really like that, just on the fact because um, the Dallas Keuchel thing didn't work out last year, and I just think that you're, they're just hunting for a big name there. You hear the name Cole Hamels, and you you hear the success that he had in the playoffs in previous years with like the Phillies. And I don't know if you're getting that Cole Hamels anymore. So well, I, mean, I you want to look at the years. I mean, it's been four or five years since he's played for the Phillies. I mean, he's been with the Rangers and a little bit with the Cubs. And being at the age of 35, obviously you don't expect that. Uh, but he was still able to provide 141 and two-third innings with the Cubbies. Um working my way through um, 
your little Skype box on the top right and how and looking at uh, MLB a baseball reference, but 3.81 ERA, which is getting below average. But you look at the year before, not as many innings, I believe, because of injury, but a 2.36 ERA with the Cubbies. And all the years before that were above where he was last year, 3.81. And whenever he was with Texas, uh, mixing over to Chicago as well. So I think Cole Hamels is at least trending in the right direction um, for the age of where he's at right now. So I don't see this being a poor decision by the Braves. The only thing I'm worried about is you have so much great young pitching. If you're going to get a veteran starter, have that guy be elite. And and that's why I like the Dallas Keuchel thing when it happened last year is you had a guy that was proven. He won a Cy Young. He won a World Series. He had all these accolades, but he was still the top free agent of his of his position when they, they made that signing. I don't feel that with Dallas Keuchel, or with Cole Hamill, sorry. Um, I don't know. I just don't see where he fits successfully in the Atlanta rotation. Well, I mean, when you lose Julio Tehran, I think he could just fit in just fine, especially being a, a lefty rather than a righty. So I, 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 I don't. I don't want this to happen, but I mean, if Cole Hamels goes there, I think he'll give the team that sustained success that they've had the last two years. I think for thirty million too, I think that that kind of ruffles my feathers a little bit. I mean, it's only fifteen mil a year compared to what right. other, other pitchers are projected to get this off season. But I would rather pit, pay a little bit more and get more of a more of a, a younger elite arm. All right. And... So then, how about this? Would you would you want Hyunjin Ryu? Um, instead of going to the Rangers on three years, 54 mil, would you rather have him in Atlanta than Cole Hamels? I wouldn't mind him. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know much about Ryu. I knew he was off to a hot start and he's pitched well in uh, in uh, L.A. for the Dodgers the last couple of years. So I wouldn't mind having him in the Braves rotation. Um uh, so, so going going into the season, he'll have just turned thirty three. Uh, his rookie year was twenty thirteen. Um, so you can interpret that however you want, whether it's less innings in the majors or in, in with pro- American professional baseball in the MLB. Um, you want to look at all the other years that he's had with the Dodgers. He didn't qualify for enough innings last year to have his ERA be the best last year at 1.97. He only had 82 and a third innings pitched. He had the best ERA in the NL last year, 2.32. Year prior, I mean, he had had a second highest innings pitched last year at 182 and two-third, that only being behind his rookie season in 2013 at 192. And he started off with a three ERA his first year, then a 338. So you could say that he's maybe getting back into his groove, but at the same time, you could argue that with Cole Hamels, maybe not as dominant as Ryu right now, but getting back into that groove um, is what you want. His projections uh, have him at a 306 ERA at 159 innings pitched this next season. So you're saying you'd rather have Ryu than uh, Hamels on that 
rotation? Yes. Okay, so let's do two more. Let's go to the big boys. Um, oh, boy. Yeah, oh, boy, it is right. How about the World Series MVP, Steven Strasburg, projected to stay in Washington on a six-year, $180 million deal? Um, I don't know. I, I, I think that's the obvious choice that he stays in Washington just because I feel like he's just looking for a better deal than what he was previously on. Um, and obviously the success that he had in the, in the postseason is going to boost up his numbers, but, um, I don't know. It's hard for me to not think like a team like Boston or the Yankees aren't sitting there trying to figure out a way to work him into the rotation, into their rotations. I think a dark horse as well is the San Diego Padres, just because of his ties to San Diego, uh, growing up there, playing, playing school for San Diego state, um, and, you know, having, you know, he had Tony Gwynn as his manager in San Diego State. You know, may he rest in peace. Um, but, you know, career high in wins at 18. Career, or, excuse me, not career high, but I think he led the league in innings pitched in um, 209 innings pitched this past season. And it was his best, the most strikeouts that he he has recorded in a season at 251 this is you know he's he's going to be um oh wow they don't have his age up here never mind i'm going to guess that he's going to be 31 years old that's just my guess um and for him to have the 332 era which is right around where you expect most pitchers now these days to be um he's two years removed being off a 252 era I think that it would be the right move to keep him in Washington, but I don't see how they can keep both him and Anthony Rendon going into free agency at the same time. So if you had to pick one or the other between Rendon and Strasburg, who do you pick? Um, I'd probably take... Oh, boy, this is tough. Um, I'd probably take They were Strasburg. both dogs in the playoffs. Uh, I would take Strasburg. Excuse me, just because uh, just having that that ace that goes out every five days and know, and you know that they can just stop whatever's going wrong with your team just off one start and get you guys going in the right direction. Um, yeah, I'm going Strasburg. Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to not pick Anthony Rendon, but at the same time, when Strasburg is ace material and not even the ace on that team. It and, just makes it that much harder to get past that team, and that's part of the reason why they won the World Series. And this is what that that every Nationals fan was being told was going to happen when they drafted right. this kid. Right. So to draft this kid and then to not bring him back, I think that's that's that'd be a hard sell for that franchise. All right, number one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. Jeff is dying. Someone calling at the lens. God, I wish I had my cough button. <laughs> um, so, last one before we end the show here. Garrett Cole projected to go to the LA Angels eight years, $256 million, which would break records uh, for being a pitcher. If this deal were to happen, not only do you have the most expensive pitcher, but you have the most expensive 
uh, player on the field each day with Mike Trout. Um, I can see this deal happening, but I still don't know how spending all that money on those two players is going to ascend them to the top because they need more help than just the top. They do need pitching help. Don't get me wrong. I just don't see how you can build a team without breaking the luxury tax. That's the LA Angels if you get with get in with Garrett Cole on that type of a deal. Do you think bring bringing in Garrett Cole would um, lure other players to build around? So you I have mean, your. I don't know how Mike Trout or doesn't already do that. Well, because you still need that pitching help every day, right? Like, you can have, if you don't have the pitching, I mean, to have a stud pitcher you're going to play behind at least 25 times a year. And then on top of that, the days he's not pitching, you also have the best hitter in the world playing center field every day. Um, I think that lures guys start figuring out, okay, I have a chance to actually go out and win a World Series and I don't have to go to New York or Boston. You know, it's it's no longer an East Coast bias. So, and I think what helps is that Joe Madden's in a new scene, and we said it before, where he might have a short shelf life. This is first year, and you, this is his first year, I should say. And if he lands Garrett Cole, you get those other players coming in. He does his unorthodox thing of being that that weird guy manager, but it somehow works. But it's but it's fun now. Now Joe Madden is fun again. Right? Yes, because he's in so, a new place. <laughs> right. So, you know, if you want to get out of a bad spot, Joe Madden is all of a sudden fun. Everybody comes to the ballpark. They're happy. Look how great Joe Madden is. And they win a World Series and then see where they go from there. Do you think if they land Garrett Cole that at some point, no matter what kind of moves they make down the road, they win a World Series with Joe Madden there? Yes. Okay. I'll respect that. I'm just going to go on the opposite and say no, just to not agree with you, just because we don't do that that very often. Yeah, you just, you just don't like Joe Madden. I know I don't, and I don't think you do either, but I do agree with you with he's fun again being on a new team. It's it's almost the opposite of uh, Mike Babcock, right? Yeah, a little so, bit. We're full circle now. But but it's not like it's not like he's making people make lists of the hardest working guys on – on the team and telling those guys what other people think of you. It's Joe Madden being like, Oh, let's fly on the team plane in our pajamas together. And, you know, guys are finally like, okay, this is kind of weird. I'm out of here. It takes a year or two, but they figure it out. Yeah. About three or four. All right. So let's just, let's just end it there. I mean, there's some non-tenders going out. Addison Russell's going to be a free agent. Tim Beckham, Domingo Santana, um, so you'll, we can catch up on that next week. Um, let's just get to the MVPs, Jeff. You want to go first? You want me? Um, I'm, I'll go first. My MVP of the week, it's not sports related, but it's going to go to my mother, Kim Christ. Um, she, I think I did her for my, my, her birthday a couple, couple months ago or so. Uh, but phenomenal Thanksgiving meal. She did her thing. Um, everything went smoothly in the Chris household for Thanksgiving and she kind of leads that charge with making pies, making dinner and whatnot. So, uh, Kim Crest MVP, great job. There you go. There you go. I like that. Um, I'm going to have to go with Ben Charrington 
picking a, a manager finally. So we don't have to worry about maybe Trevor Williams, Ashley Trevor Williams, running the team on the side or just picking a player and saying, hey, you get to manage the team today. Um, so we'll see how it goes with the Pirates. Ben Charrington for finally picking a manager, and it's not like they were upset about it, but nobody was really praising this guy. Um, just that neutral move. I'm all about it. I'm all about <coughs> I need to get back to my shopping. You need to get back to drinking tea with honey. Um, this is oh, no, I graduated from that. I'm taking Dayquil. Dayquil, uh, Nyquil. Dayquil, Nyquil. Okay. Pill uh, form. Well, you have to. Yeah, because who wants to keep taking shots of that? And I don't think my boss at work would appreciate me taking shots at work. Uh, it depends. Depends <laughs> how the days go. <laughs> right. So, uh, like us on the Facebook, Icy Takes with Jeff and Big Dave. Follow us on the Twitter at Icy Takes, I-C-E-Y Takes, all together one word. Follow the personal Twitters at Big underscore Day 52. At Jake Chris underscore 51. Like our Lord and Savior, amen. You know, hopefully we didn't run the train off the rails too much, but we're looking to be better next week. But until then, stay icy. Love you guys. Bye.